0: and welcome to Carmelite Conversations. This is Francis Harry. Thank you so much for joining us. We're in the midst of a series exploring contemplation in the Carmelite sense, um, using Father Donald Haggerty's book, St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, as the springboard of our conversations. Last week, in the second part of the series, we talked about the need for a pure faith in God and the impact of faith on the intellect as well as how to respond to divine communications in prayer in a healthy way. If you missed it, you may find it at www.carmeliteconversations.com, where we have lots of podcasts listed. Today, we will focus on two more aspects of the interior spiritual life that are critical in opening us up to the prayer of contemplation and a deeper union with God that being the importance of asceticism and also the purification of the will and its three principal operations so key to growing spiritually. To help me tackle these topics, I'm so grateful to have with me Deacon Mark Danis. Welcome, Deacon Danis. How are you?
1: Great, Francis. Great to be back with you. Look forward to our conversation here again today.
0: And we have a special feast day to be doing this podcast on. On this August 9th of 2023, it is the feast day of St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. So may she intercede for us and help us in this conversation. As always, we'd like to start with a prayer. So Deacon Danis, would you lead us in a prayer?
1: Certainly. Let's recollect ourselves. Find that place of interior silence. Let us begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we know the desire that resides deep within the human soul, desire to be found in union with our Creator, where we will reside for all eternity. Our Carmelite saints, especially today, St. John of the Cross, reveal to us the path to this encounter. And they help us to remove the obstacles. They give us, in the words of Saint Teresa Benedicta of the cross, they give us the science of the cross. And so we ask, Lord, that you might fill us with your Holy Spirit, make us receptive to what it is that you have to impart to us, and help us to deeply embed the desire within our hearts overcome every obstacle every impediment until we reach our destiny in union with you we ask all this in Jesus' name amen mm-hmm. in the Father and Son and Holy Spirit Amen
0: well thank you for that opening prayer so we have a lot to discuss today but I think it would be good to kind of recap where we were um last week would you mind doing that for us please
1: yeah I'll I'll tell you Honestly, Francis, I wanted to recover just one principal point about um, what for us are about two chapters each for our conversation. So that would have been the third and fourth chapter in Father Haggerty's book. And the central theme that he uh, focused on was this idea of our not stopping at any one of God's uh, individual manifestations or attributes is another way of describing them that he would reveal to us. All of them are representative of him, but none of them in and of themselves are akin to God. He's something much larger, of course. And so to draw again on the analogy between the relations um, in human persons, between two human persons, um, it might look or sound something like this. Uh, When we find ourselves um, attracted to the opposite sex, Usually there are a series of encounters and revelations about that other person, be he male or female. Um, And oftentimes, in fairness, it begins with the aesthetic value of their appearance, their looks. But then we encounter the person and we might hear their voice and find that pleasant. We might discover that they um, have an affinity toward athletics and that's manifested in the person's physique and fitness. Maybe it has something to do with the intelligence as it reveals itself in conversation. Uh, We discover perhaps that they have an affinity and a gift for music. Um, We uh, um, likewise discover uh, that they are a person with deep empathy or compassion for other people. All of these things are part of who that person is, but in and of themselves, they are not the whole person. They are only attributes of that person. We would want to continue if we were pursuing a deeper relationship with that person to the very heart and soul of who that person is and not limit ourselves to his or her attributes. And it's much the same in the way that Father Haggerty and, of course, Drawing on the Works of John of the Cross are describing how we engage in this relationship with God. Yes, we should be taken by his attractiveness, which we can read about. We should be taken by Uh, Obviously, his uh, imparting to us intellectual knowledge, his affinity for music, as we know God has, um, his depth of empathy and compassion for us, his children. But none of those should stop us from continuing to pursue uh, our course to the very heart of who God is and the very soul of um, what he has to share with us. And so, of course, we know we define that as beatitude, which we won't encounter in this life, but uh, in the next life. But this idea that we want to continue the journey, we want to continue to grow in the relationship um, in as many ways as we can and uh, to discover that other person um, as as deeply as we can, I think are perhaps better ways of our getting a better understanding of what um, St. John of the Cross is talking about when he says we should not stop at any one of the individual manifestations of God when we should not hold on to them uh, any more than we would say, well, I'm attracted to my mate uh, simply because of his or her uh, beauty or attractiveness. Um, That wouldn't be sufficient to sustain a relationship. We know that. And so we go beyond that.
0: Right. So um, with that, We're going to turn to the next chapter, which is chapter five in Father Haggerty's book on asceticism. And when you first encounter that word, you know, it's more than two syllables. So you're already cringing, right? (laughs) At least for the non-intellectual types. And so you look it up and you find out what it's talking about, denial. And and then you cringe again (laughs) because it sounds like it's going to be hard. So let's just dig into this and see how beneficial it can be, because this is something that we don't hear talked about very much. And yet it is so needed in growth in the spiritual life and union with God.
1: Yeah. And I think it's necessary again. And we'll say this again, Francis, time and time again. We have to remind ourselves, John is writing for those who want to pursue contemplation to union with God. Um, And if that whole process uh, is a bit off-putting for you, then certainly you wouldn't be attracted to this idea of asceticism. Most of the church is not. I remember relating the story some time ago about a dear friend of ours. We were having one of those late-night conversations, a group of us, couples, and uh, we started talking about suffering and the inevitability of suffering and the necessity of suffering in the spiritual journey and one of our members said, well, I don't want to suffer. I never want to have to endure suffering. Uh, I didn't realize that that was part of the process. And of course, uh, some of the rest of us who had had uh, schooling in this uh, looked at this person and, and uh, quietly, passionately just said, or compassionately just said, um, unfortunately, that is part of the journey to the, to the depth of um, union. Um, but it's good that we understand the meaning. And so let's go back a little bit. Um, this word um, asceticism is actually from the Greek, and I'll probably mispronounce this for those who are uh, conversant in Greek, ascesis, which literally means exercise or training. It's a perhaps better way of thinking of this. We think often of the term you use, which is appropriate and accurate, denial, self-denial. But really, we should think of this as spiritual training. And we always want, as St. John of the Cross would encourage For us to find ourselves grounded in scripture, I think there's a verse, um, Francis, from Corinthians that may reveal some of this if you want to read that.
0: Sure, I have it right here. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wealth, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air, but I punish my body and enslave it. So that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. That's from 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25 through 27. So Paul clearly understood the value of this form of spiritual training. And when you think about how much effort um, people put into um, fitness today. Um, some are very dedicated, putting lots of time and effort. But just as we engage in order to keep ourselves from a poor health and we want to stay fit physically, we also must engage in spiritual training, which is asceticism, to keep ourselves from losing our spiritual health. And I think John of the Cross uh, has a good post for that Um regeneration um, of our appetites of how to deal with our appetites.
1: Yeah, he writes in Ascent uh, of Karma, which is most of where uh, Father uh, Haggerty draws his uh, reflections from. I will identify when it's other than that, but here's what John of the Cross says. Mortification of the appetites is necessary for one's spiritual fruitfulness. I venture to say that without this mortification, all that is done for the sake of advancement and perfection and the knowledge of god and of oneself is no more profitable than seeds sown on uncultivated ground accordingly darkness and coarseness will always be with the soul until its appetites are extinguished the appetites are like a cataract on the eye or specks of dust in it until removed they obstruct its vision and so we see here the need for uh, exercising our a spiritual nature, just as Francis points out, we have a great tendency to do with our physical nature. Especially today, we see so much of this um, desire for fitness on the part of uh, so many. But are, are they sensitive to uh, the implications for their spiritual growth as well?
0: Well, now neither John nor other great mystical saints are advocating a lack of prudence in these ascetical practices, but the truth is. The the more difficult the better, (laughs) and of course John is talking going straight up that Mount Carmel, right? The objective is not to seek to experience pain; however, we're not sadists, (laughs) but to deliberately be willing to step away from those things that bring pleasure, comfort, and ease in life. So, and we'll be talking about the will and all of this. in a little bit later here, but, uh, very important for us. Uh, and, yeah, and
1: Father Haggerty builds on that point and say, says that most people really don't have a great appreciation for how attached they are to certain styles of life until they have to begin to a practice denying those, uh, aspects of their lifestyle. Um, for example, in the areas of food, of drink, of sleep, um, uh, Hot or cold showers, the clothing that we wear, and thousands of other little things that we've surrounded ourselves with, and make our lives easier. Uh, In fact, he identifies what's perhaps the most compelling scripture verse to support this teaching about how we have to begin to decrease these things within our life in order to allow Christ to surface. From John three thirty, we read: "He must increase; I must decrease." Now, it's not the physical eye. It's not the mental eye. It's not my capacity. The capacities will actually be enhanced. It's unburdening ourselves of all those things that have served to uh, weigh us down in this world in material association and in uh, our comforts that are keeping us from um, availing ourselves to the work that God wants to do in us. And again, we should emphasize, Francis. None of these things are in and of themselves bad. I mean, we're talking about food. We're talking about sleep. We're talking about, um, you know, reasonable forms of entertainment. In and of themselves, they're not bad. Nor are we saying, as you pointed out, we would imprudently um, adopt practices that would diminish our health, but we have to be willing to identify that there are things within us uh, and things that we are attached to that simply have to be uh, abandoned.
0: So, you can really tell when you say, okay, I'm going to make a resolution to give up, fill in the blank every day for this next week. And then you start to do it. And then you either forget or you start to realize, boy, I really want that. Like you're going to give up putting cream in your coffee. Okay. Okay. No big deal. All right. It doesn't taste as good as you would like. Not that I'm a coffee drinker, but I I hear this from coffee drinkers, right? And so, all right, they they're giving it up, and then they're like, "Oh, but I really, you know, I'm thinking about missing that cream in my coffee. Now I really want that cream in the coffee, and it's harder and harder to give up. And that's just a little thing, inconsequential, yeah. but yet in the willingness to give it up, you're showing your your love for God in a way that you hadn't before. So yeah. um, it's an important thing um, to have the desire to deny yourself, and then to put that desire to practice and to allow Jesus to take over. So Jesus, through the Holy Spirit working in us, will identify those attachments in our lives that we must begin to put away. In fact, John the Cross has this great quote on um, true self-denial that I'd like to read. And this is from um, The Ascent of Mount Carmel. I should like to persuade spiritual persons that the road leading to God demands only the one thing necessary, true self-denial, exterior and interior, through surrender of self, both to suffering for Christ and to annihilation in all things. In the exercise of this self-denial, everything else, and even more, is discovered and accomplished. If one fails in this exercise, the root and sum total of all the virtues— The other methods would amount to no more than going around in circles without getting anywhere. I would not consider any spirituality worthwhile that wants to walk in sweetness and ease and run from imitation of Christ. I'm reminded of a quote of St. Teresa of Avila, something along the lines of uh, comfort and holiness don't walk together well. (laughs) Something along those lines. (laughs)
1: Yeah, absolutely. And again, we want to emphasize here it is not self denial for self denial's sake. Go back to our original foundation, exercise and training. What are we training? What are we exercising? It is our will. It is strengthening our will, seeking to overcome our own desires in favor of desires the Lord will begin to place in our heart. This is not about simply denying ourselves, it's about strengthening our will to allow it to conform itself to God's will. Uh, John has another, I think, very appropriate quote uh, that explains this. Supernatural union exists when God's will and the soul's are in conformity so that nothing in one is repugnant to the other. When the soul rids itself completely of what is repugnant and unconformed to the divine will, it rests transformed in God through love. So again, let, let's not mistakenly um, conclude, as so many do, especially when they read John of the Cross, Francis, they think, oh, he's so austere, he's so demanding. No, no, John is trying to help us strengthen our capacities for conforming ourselves to what it is that God has already prepared for us and wants to share with us. But we have all these impediments, all these obstacles that we ourselves And he says, even he uses a word which many people perhaps find off-putting, repugnant to the other. Well, God is a bit repugnant to us when we hear self-denial, suffering, we have to endure these things. But equally so, our current condition is off-putting, if I might use that term, to God because it isn't representative of the image in which we were created. That's Jesus Christ. So we wanna work to to, uh, better conform ourselves and prepare ourselves. Uh, Again, these practices of asceticism, they're not about just uh, placing restrictions, but they're about conforming ourselves, purifying, purging our desires that would be anything other than God. Again, if we go back to John's analogy of the burning fire, it's essentially about removing the green wood as a source of fire. In other words, we are green wood. Green wood doesn't burn very well. It doesn't catch the fire of love very well. Uh, It will burn more cleanly and efficiently once it's been dried out. What is the drying? Asceticism. That's the process. And then the fire produced will be a desire only for God, which will burn very brightly. In order to facilitate this, of course, we have to offer our self-denial in love. That's the important thing. We don't do this... Um, simply out of, uh, um, you know, sort of an intellectual conclusion. Well, I guess it's the right thing to do, so I'll go ahead and do it. We do it out of love. No, we don't do it that way initially. This is where our intellect comes to serve us. But ultimately, more and more as God takes over um, and he restrains, helps us restrain our appetites, it becomes about divesting the soul of appetites and gratifications that serve as impediments, that that leave that wood green as opposed to the dry that we're hoping for.
0: And here's what St. John of the Cross has to say about that. He says, We are not discussing the mere lack of things. This lack will not divest the soul if it craves for all these objects. We are dealing with a denudation of the soul's appetites and gratifications. This is what leaves it free and empty of all things, even though it possesses them. Since the things of the world cannot enter the soul, they're not in themselves an encumbrance or harm to it. Rather, it is the will and appetite dwelling within that cause the damage when set on these things. So we have to focus on what is um, what is our will doing? What is our appetite? Then as we divest from that um, and we look toward God. And we will become closer. We can do what's in our power to draw closer.
1: Yeah. And let's draw um, um, an analogy to two circumstances, one of which might be sinful, certainly would be sinful, and the second, not so much. So here's the first. The first would be the person um, who thinks about uh, an illicit relationship, adultery even, if we, if we would use that analogy. And yes, they are... Um, Doing all they can to avoid the thought of their um, appeal to another person, their their affinity to another person uh, that would represent that inappropriate relationship. And though they do everything they can to avoid the thought in the in the back of their mind, they're thinking, but I wouldn't mind it if that person sort of proposed it to me you know, and gave me the, the idea. So they're still harboring the desire. That's the point. We're still harboring the desire, even though we're actively trying to detach ourselves from it. This is what John's talking about. We got to get to the root of it. A second and less egregious example would be we have an affinity to a particular food. And we say, well, I, I don't want that food. I'm not going to choose that food. Uh, it may be bad for me. It may not. That's not really the point. But I've chosen to, um, you know, fast from that food. But yet we constantly think about it and we remember, oh, it tastes so good. And it made my, you know, my uh my taste buds water and blah, blah, blah. Whatever it is, this is what we have to do battle with. And we have to recognize we can't do this on our own. Now, John uses this great analogy about the mind. Here's where memory comes into play, by the way, and aided by the intellect. So we have these memories of these uh particular desires that we just talked about. The intellect presents them to us and we focus on them. What John is saying is that's the very activity where we have to intervene. We have to stop the focusing on them. How do we do that? By focusing instead on God, by transforming our thought patterns even uh, to elimination of these things. And I think there's a good quote, uh, though many people, again, Francis, misread this quote. um, It it is blunt unless you understand it in context. Uh, that John has to offer us about exactly how uh, sort of, um, you know, dramatic we have to be in pursuing this. Would you mind sharing that with us?
0: This is about the endeavor, too, right?
1: Yep. Okay.
0: Yes. All right. Um, this is actually a great exercise for mental austerity. I know you're going to talk about that in a minute here, but I have to
1: put no, that You're up. right. It's, it's, it's the very explanation of it. So it's a good way to, to start it.
0: Yeah. And and, you know, in the examples that you gave, it was a lot like what we experience at Lent. We make these resolutions and sometimes a lot of people do it with food. And then you're like the very thing you want to give up food or drink or whatever is the very thing you start craving. And so this is very important. Um, first of all, this is what John Cross says. It's one of his most famous quotes. Endeavor to be inclined always. Not to the easiest, but to the most difficult. Not to the most delightful, but to the most distasteful. Not to the most gratifying, but to the less pleasant. Not to what means rest for you, but to hard work. Not to the consoling, but to the unconsoling. Not to the most, but to the least. Not to the highest and most precious but to the lowest and most despised, not to wanting something, but to wanting nothing. Well, if you take all those to heart, even if you take one line to heart, boy, that's a great examination of conscience <laughs> to take to confession with you because, um, it shows you how much we do grasp for things or people or, um, fame or being recognized. Um, so, so this is really, um, you know the the shortcut to union with god is, yeah. is
1: and, anything that anything that we place our desires in right again nobody um would disagree this is very demanding language john is not for the faint of heart you know we have used that before uh, john is for those who 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 do uh, i like uh, ralph martin's analogy here i i have listened to him on john of the cross and i appreciate his his perspective very much and he says John is a straight up the mountain kind of guy. You know, if you want to go the straight way up the mountain, then then you practice what John says. That language that you just offered, Francis, is an example of that. But what is he really saying? Exercise the will. This is where the will comes into play. Listen, if you were to train to be a runner, if you were to train to be a concert pianist, if you were to train to be a ballerina, would you be any less inclined? to eliminate those things that would serve as obstacles to the accomplishment of your goal, right? You would deny yourself food. You would deny yourself sleep if that were necessary. You would constantly forego the things that might otherwise be entertaining to you, going out and playing with your friends or, or going out for a night of drinking or whatever, because you've got to sit and practice scales or you've got to be on your tiptoes or you've got to be running around the track. This is what John is saying. Are you serious? This is what John is, would say to us. Are you serious about this pursuit? Are you genuinely pursuing? And This is why, by the way, John would say, you know, very few, one in thousands would ever um, be raised to this level of intimacy. Not because God doesn't desire it, but because people are not willing to invest in what is necessary to accomplish it.
0: Now you're talking about the will. And Father Haggerty points out the three operations of the will. And I think it's very important for us to get these three in our mind because it's the process of how we choose things. So the first step is you have a desire. The, the will, the, the intellect may put before the will um, something and the will desires that thing that it sees rather than dispense with it. So the desire. The second is then the the will chooses that thing. And the third, it finds delight or satisfaction. So I try to shorten it and remember it. Okay, desire, choose, delight. And as we speak about the will and its power in turning toward God or turning toward idols or things that will not draw us closer to God or get in the way of God, then these three steps are pivotal. So desire, choose, delight in.
1: Right. And so what is Father saying about those three things? And really, it's John of the Cross. They must be transformed and conformed to where they are always seeking only God and the the things that please God. So we begin to ask ourselves questions. How much time am I spending on my fitness? How much time am I spending in the preparation of food? How much time am I spending in certain types of entertainment? Is this in concert with what God wants in my life? And of course, if we don't know, and more often than not, we don't know, well, we ask him. That's what prayer is for, to guide us. And the Holy Spirit comes to our aid. And in and of itself, our decision to say, I want to pursue God is necessary, but insufficient. John would say absolutely necessary that you choose God, that you, um, well, that you think of God, that you choose God and you delight in God. But it's insufficient because you will not be able to do it consistently. This is where the work in contemplation begins to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to us those areas first where we are not in conformance with that. Where do we get that? From 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, Paul tells us love is patient in its kind. Wouldn't we all want to be that all the time? But then he goes on to list eight things that are in non-conformance with God. Love isn't arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. And he goes on and on and on. The first effort in the contemplative pursuit of God is to eliminate those things that are obstacles to that union. And then the Holy Spirit begins to take over. We do that to the extent we can, by the way. This is what John calls the active nights of both sense and spirit. We won't have time to go into that, but it is that which we are responsible for. When we can no longer do it on our own, the Holy Spirit steps in and takes over. This, by the way, I just want to point out, um, is actually a good definition of this prayer of recollection. What is recollection? You asked me that years ago in a radio program, Francis, and I confess I was a little taken aback at the moment uh Having to define it, though I knew in my heart what it was, but our understanding develops over time. I contend today, recollection is bringing everything back to God, centering everything in our life in God in a formal way. In prayer, it is the answer I gave you some two and a half years ago. But it, it, it basically is dispensing with all the, everything in. But in a life that is recollected, that Teresa Avila talks about. It is conforming everything in our life to God. There is no outlier. There's no, well, these things are all for God, but that's kind of for myself, or that's for my children, or that's for my employer. No, 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 no. Everything has to come under that same umbrella. That is living a recollected life.
0: Well, that's also the definition of what it means to be pure of heart, right? When, when you're recollected, according to, let's see, how do you say his name?
1: Kier- Kierkegaard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: stumble on his name. It's to the will the one thing. And I know that he's one of your favorite authors that you refer to, um, at least on this one point, the to will the one thing. That is that is the one thing that sticks out. <laughs> but this is this requires what Father Haggerty points out as mental austerity, which refers to the quote that I had just read from John the Cross. And um, he'll use that term a great deal and and it refers to our deliberate effort to rid our minds of a whole host of distractions that otherwise impede our ability to remain centered on God. Of course, when we're in prayer and we are distracted, we're working really hard on that mental austerity, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I don't want to miss the point on this purity of heart. Kierkegaard actually wrote a book about it um, titled Purity of Heart. But who do we think of when we think of purity of heart? Of course, we think of the Blessed Mother, right? Yes. What was it that made Mary pure of heart? It was that she focused on one thing. It is to focus on but one thing. Everything conforms itself to that one thing. And, of course, that's the relationship.
0: And so um, I think
1: John, again, uh, has. A, yeah, John of the Cross, again, has an austere way of describing this in that next quote, Francis, I think that you have in front of you. Um, where he goes on to explain to us how it is that we come to reach satisfaction, to possess these things that that we desire.
0: Okay, before I read that quote, I just want to explain to our listening audience that every now and then we have a hiccup in our audio, and um, it's just a, a a problem in the connection. So hopefully, um, it's just rare and it doesn't bother you. But it's not your uh, computers, not your uh, podcast um equipment um it is our on our end so we we're sorry for that little uh technology burp <laughs> all right so here's what uh john of the cross is talking about to um grow inwardly toward this single desire for god john of the cross teaches us to reach satisfaction in all desire satisfaction in nothing to come to possess all Desire the possession of nothing. To arrive at being all, desire to be nothing. To come to the knowledge of all, desire the knowledge of nothing. To come to enjoy what you have not, you must go by a way in which you enjoy not. To come to the knowledge you have not, you must go by a way in which you know not. To come to the possession you have not, you must go by a way in which you possess not to come to be what you are not. You must go by a way in which you are not. This is sort of the summation of nada, 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 right? It or,
1: is. Or, it or, is. Yeah, or it really is. It's an
0: explanation of not nada, nada. nada.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and again, we appreciate, you know, this is tough language from John um, and it requires not only an intellectual grasp and we're trying to provide that now, But really, you won't won't understand the depth of John's teaching unless you pray, unless you avail yourself of silent hours, hours before the Lord. And he will reveal these uh, understandings, not in a way, as we're demonstrating here today, unfortunately, Francis, that someone else could articulate to you. Oh, let me explain to you exactly what John meant. Because what he'll mean to you, uh, individual soul and listener of ours, will be different because your life is different. And so austerity, mental austerity for you will mean a whole host of things that wouldn't be resonant in the mind of myself or Francis because our life experience is different. So I I don't say that to say everything here is subjective. What I say is everybody's individual encounter with God is subjective as it relates to their individual human experience. But John is giving us the formula. And then he's saying to us, grasp it as best you can. Listen to counselors who have experienced some of this and can provide some insight and context, but recognize that to get the full meaning, you're going to have to spend hours before a monstrance or before a tabernacle in silent prayer, and then it will be revealed where to your interior. And you, like us, will say, "I can't exactly explain this to you, but I know it like I know the depth of my own soul." And so, um, this is what John is talking about, and then. Um, With that austerity, that mental austerity, that asceticism, we can begin to get a deeper understanding of the next phase of the journey that Father Haggerty takes us to, which is specifically the purification of the will, the purification of the will to act. The will drives all human endeavor and taking control of that through the virtue of charity is what John talks about in his writings and what Father Haggerty takes us to next.
0: So, and of course, we can do only so much through that asceticism, but um, in the end, it is insufficient. Um, At some point, we have to let the Lord himself take charge. We become more and more passive and the Lord becomes more active in in our lives. Uh, but what we've got to do, of course, is our best at emptying our will of any desires for anything other than God. And that reminds me of the scripture from Mark, chapter 12, verse 30. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. And what's interesting here is that um which Father Haggerty points out is that in this verse from Mark, Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 5. But Jesus himself adds the word mind, which was not recorded in the book of Deuteronomy. So that leads us to understand that the mind must surely play a part. But this is not talking about academic intellectual study, but rather is about what the mind Focuses on, which you've talked about a couple of times, because it is what the will, okay, the faculty of the will ultimately desires. And the effort to love with all our heart and strength ultimately resides in the will. So there's a, a link between the mind and the will. So that which is um a, a see attracts the intellect. So our intellect is attracted by something. And that intensifies our desires. And then the will it chooses that desire um, and it gets delight from it. And then it's like a habitual thing that happens over and over. Desire, choose, delight. Desire, choose, delight.
1: Yeah. And, and we're back, uh, Francis, to your three uh, stage process that you talked about earlier, the operation of the will. Right. It's Father Haggerty, which he said he would do. I'm going to layer it over and I'm going to present it slightly differently, but it's the same idea. Desire, choose, delight is the way the human person lives. It's how we live. It's what we do in life. And we always choose based on what we believe is in our best interest, right? What we have to do is begin to conform ourselves and realize with the benefit of our intellect that what is in our best interest is conformance with God's will. Well, does that mean I have to deny myself the piece of chocolate cake? Yes, it does. It means I have to begin to deny myself the lesser goods so that I can open and avail myself to the greater goods. That's what he's talking about. Again, there's a a wonderful quote from John, um, a son of Mount Carmel. And he talks about marshalling our strength. The strength of the soul is what he's focused on here. He said, the strength of the soul comprises the faculties, the passions, and the appetites. All this strength is ruled by the will. When the will directs these faculties, passions, and appetites towards God, turning away from all that is not God, the soul preserves its strength for God and comes to love him with all its might, which is what Francis just read. That, you know, I, I ask our listeners, I challenge each of us. my Myself included, to what extent do we live that verse? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That is the very definition of a complete human being. That's what it is. And if we aren't there, and I'm certainly not there, then that is the goal. That is our uh, ultimate end. This is what we will do for all eternity: to have nothing focus on anything other than God that is within us. And so. Uh, John is giving us the the course, but he's also reminding us that the initial stages of this have more to do with divestment than with acquisition, with acquiring and developing. First, we have to divest ourselves. For St. John of the Cross, there are these four primary passions, we mentioned them, that must be brought under control. They are joy, sorrow, fear, and hope. Interestingly, Francis, I was reading St. Augustine just the other night, and these very four, though he characterizes joy as desire, uh, but nonetheless, he he has these same passions, I suspect, either through uh, Augustine or perhaps Aquinas. This is where John got this theology, but he says, in order to bring them to the service of our desire for contemplation, we must move to a place where our only hope is to serve God. Our only, uh, and our entire selves, our only joy is found in serving God. Our only fear is in offending God. And our only sorrow is experience and discovering we are not serving God. Again, we don't have to sit and sort of intellectually determine this. Um, it's, it's more of an interior disposition. But this is where we're moving, where these four passions that drive all human behavior through the will, and Francis has outlined twice now the operation of the will very clearly. Through the will, these four passions drive all human behavior. They are the, the, the foundation of everything that's been accomplished in human history. Well, now we're asking the ultimate question. Not what is human history, but what is human destiny? Human destiny is conformance with the will of God and union with God. And in order for that to be possible for us, We have to bring these four passions into conformance. And that's exactly how we do it. Hope to serve God, um, um, the foundation of serving God, our fear and offending him, our sorrow only when we disappointed him and our joy in knowing that we have served him.
0: And if we don't discipline those four passions, they can weigh us down and then prevent us from this deeper interiority with God, and it will hamper our growth in virtue as well. So it, um, these are important for us to be aware of and to be um, maybe taking to an examination of conscience how we're dealing with those four passions in our life. Now, you're talking about this reaching union with God, and there's this wonderful quote from John of the Cross. Again, it's from the Ascent of Mount Carmel. He says the entire matter of reaching union with God consists in purging the will of its appetites and emotions so that from a human and lowly will, it may be changed into the divine will made identical with the will of God. So that's possible. (laughs) That's what's amazing to me that it's possible to have that. Identical will with God, because you are participating in God's will so fully. Yeah. Well, John spends a good deal of time in the third book of the Ascent of Mount Carmel, talking about the dangers of joy or happiness when it's sought and experienced in the things of this world. And he makes several points on it. Um his main point being that everything we desire and pursue in this life must all be directed toward the glory of God. So we can say this of our health, of our wealth, our family, our occupation, even our recreation, you know, just anything that we're doing in life. So if these teachings of John seem difficult, we got to remind ourselves that the, this wasn't for the general population, but particularly for those who are aspiring um, for union with God who were willing to abandon all to pursue God. So they are working hard on their spiritual life. They're attentive. They're, they're exercising uh, effort to grow in holiness, and virtue, so as to make space for God and uh, to keep him as the one thing only, right?
1: Yeah, and again, let's go and reground ourselves, Francis. It's always important. John would advocate it. If these seem uh, outlandish, some of these statements of John, they seem unnecessarily demanding. Uh, the question ought to be asked well, where do you find that in the Bible? Where's the evidence? Where's the underlying support uh, from uh, 1 Corinthians 10 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. So St. Paul is saying, even with regard to the things you you acquire and, and consume to sustain human life, they must all be done in conformance with the glory of God. That's our end. That's our goal. That's our objective. And everything needs to uh, sort of conform itself to that. John, um, in, in the voice of Father Haggerty here, he's, he's uh, uh, sort of synopsizing John. um says, all harm to the soul uh, has some connection to the desires of the will and the delights that the soul embraces in the choices that it makes. And John then, in again, the ascent, we would run out of ink, paper, and time were we to describe the harm that beleaguers the soul because it turns its affection to temporal goods. Something very small can lead it into great evils and destroy remarkable blessings. Just as an unextinguished spark and kindle immense fires capable of burning up the world. All this harm has its origin and root in the one main private harm embodied in joy, withdraw from God. Just as approaching God through the affection of the will gives rise to every good, so withdraw from him through creature uh, affections breeds every harm and evil in the soul. The measure of the harm reflects the intensity of the joy and affection with which the will is joined to the creature, or in that proportion does it withdraw from God. This probably warrants a bit of explanation. Um, And so we encounter here the counsel of detachment, yet again, detachment from what? Anything that is not God. John is basically saying the degree to which you find joy in the pursuit of your profession, in the pursuit uh, of money, in the pursuit of your own health, in the pursuit of intellectual pursuits, Whatever it might be, and again, notice everything I just said, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But if that's the center of my joy, to that degree, I will be diminished as a human person. It sounds so contrary, Francis, to the modern mind and the modern thinking. You pointed out, and uh, I think I stated as well, the emphasis we place on the pursuit of personal fitness. We all know the amount of effort that is expended in the pursuit of money. Uh, the pursuit of acquiring reputations, uh, material goods—all these things, in and of themselves, not necessarily bad. Although if we do it to the diminution uh, of another person, it certainly is bad. Uh, but John is saying, no, they are all bad if they have become the center of your joy. Again, he focuses on joy. Unfortunately, John get a, did not get a chance to finish this part of the treatise of the ascent of Mount Carmel in capturing the other three with as much detail as he does joy, uh, it's perhaps um, the one most necessary uh, because it is through joy that we experience the desire to continue pursuing something. That's what he has just described to us, the operations again that you mentioned. So uh, perhaps best that he did focus on that. But the pursuit of joy in anything other than God is what leads us astray and we have to be careful. Um, I would argue, in fact, that this is the true definition of spiritual combat. Many mistakenly think that our battle in this life is with the devil or with the world. The truth is, however, those are both rather easily overcome through prayer. Jesus has already said, I have overcome the world and certainly he's overcome the devil. The true battle rather is within our own interior. And this detachment from our false self, self self-love, is what impedes our love for God and for the purification of our love, even for man, for other persons.
0: So what do we need? We need detachment, right? And John the Cross says, what is detachment? It's freedom of the heart for God. With this, the soul is disposed for all the favors God will grant it. Without it, he does not bestow them. So detachment of soul means that a soul is truly at liberty, free to delight in things without a consuming need for them. And so it's really important to think of the perspective here. Some people get stuck on earning money and their whole goal in life is to earn money, right? But money can be very um bad in the sense that it becomes an idol for us, a god for us, rather than the true God, right? And so then that attachment uh, to money, this desire for money actually leads to a dullness of mind and a darkness of judgment. And then you become colder toward God and then, you know, sin covers the soul. Then you, you have uh, a less desire for God because you're farther away from God. And so um, I think that's what the world is experiencing right now. They've, I remember Pope Benedict when he was alive saying we've lost the sense of sin. Society has lost the sense of sin. And so that leads to an immoral life. And we yeah. see a lot of immorality around us today.
1: Yeah. And and as you saw, so adequately point out, Francis, it is the pursuit of anything other than God as our principal objective. That is actually sin. That is sin. Um, none of what we've described in and of themselves are sinful. In fact, many people delude themselves by saying, well, if I have my, you know, more money, I'll be able to give more money to the church. And in fact, they may do that. You know, that's not the point. The, the point is that they've begun to pursue something other than God as the centerpiece of their life. Um, John goes on in the spiritual canticle to offer this observation. You can truthfully call God beloved when you are holy with him. Do not allow your heart attachment to anything outside of him. And thereby ordinarily center your mind on him. This is the definition. In fact, uh, we read the very same thing from John 14, 13 in scripture. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that my Father may be glorified. The true meaning of this is I do it in the sense that I am of the Father. The Father abides in me and I abide in him. Jesus says that himself. When we can say that, truly we can. Uh, begin to ask the Father whatever we want, because our objective is that the Father be glorified in that action. The letter of James, in fact, confirms this when it says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your pleasures. This is the very thing that we just talked about, Francis. And, And so often I hear people somewhat mockingly say, oh, I've read that scripture verse where Jesus says, ask what you will. Uh, And it will be given. They forget the parts that have to do with, yes, if Jesus abides in you. If you ask in his name, it means you're doing it in his name. You're asking in exactly the same way that Jesus would ask for that. How would Jesus ask for it? Only that my father be glorified. That is what Jesus would ask for. And then we can uh, truthfully say uh, that we are with the beloved. The beloved is within us. And of course...
0: We remember jesus saying there at the end the very end of his life not my will be done but thy will be done right
1: absolutely absolutely
0: so then what do we what should we be asking for well the answer is only those things that ultimately contribute to god's glory as you said and to our own sanctification and and that of course was the prayer of jesus so um returning to the four passions our only joy, our only gratification should be found in doing those things that are pleasing to God and contribute to his glory, all right, to do his will. Well, does this mean that we don't pray for a sick child or for the resolution of a financial matter? Of course not. But we must do so with a heart that's focused on the answer that brings glory to God. Because sometimes we need to learn some lessons. The hard way. (laughs) So it may not be answered in the way we are asking, but in the way that is most beneficial to drawing us closer to God.
1: St. John also cautions that we need to be careful not to take too much pleasure in our own practice of virtue. This is another one that we can fall victim to. Uh, Taking delight in our good works, those that are associated uh, with the church, for example, uh, even these can serve as an attachment and a cause. Uh, they can cause us to lose sight of God. The objective is to always perform our good works out of love for God. To achieve this, we should, like St. Therese of Lisieux, endeavor to perform many simple but hidden acts of love throughout the course of the day. This was her great counsel. Uh, these would be actions that no one would ever see except God.
0: Yes, Um, So I want to challenge everybody to cultivate hiddenness. (laughs) Cultivate hiddenness in your acts. Uh, This reminds me of Matthew 6, verse 3. Let not the left hand know what the right hand is doing, right? And St. Therese the Little Flower was a genius, an expert at doing those hidden things. And that's why you hear her often being referred to saying, Something along the lines as to pick up a pencil off the floor uh, is a great act of love because it it was the uh, purity of her act and her desire to glorify God that were at the heart of it, where the rest of us might be, I'm just picking it up so I don't step on it, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah. The motive of our love ought to be to give delight to God. Uh, When this desire animates the core of our life, it leads quite logically to a life of secret gifts extended to God throughout the course of the day, exactly what Therese said. And John, just to counter that, uh, the alternative, of course, if we're doing these things for ourselves, he says, there is so much misery among human beings as regards this kind of harm, doing things out of self-love, that I believe most of the works publicly achieved are either faulty, worthless, or imperfect in God's sight. Again, John's rather uh, uh, dramatic language, the reason, he says, is that people are not detached from these human respects and interests. They're doing the things they're doing because they're being uh, acknowledged for having done them. Um, again, is John is not pulling punches.
0: This is a sneaky uh, thing. We can be so deceived in this area because, you know, we're so absorbed in our own thought. So I, I again invite our listeners, if you're um Really intent on growing interiorly in union with God, having a spiritual director to help you, especially with regard to things like this. You know, when you're seeking somebody else's approval or recognition for something, um, you know, a lot of people say they have poor self-esteem and so they need that affirmation. Yeah, but at the same time, whose affirmation do we want the most? It is God's. So when we can pull ourselves detach ourselves away from that human praise to only um being focused on whether it's good for God um and glorifies him then we are are we become free we become detached and then we are more joyful and we can live a life that is not so concerned like St. Teresa of Avila said oh this person Saw what I did, and they praised me for it. And then this person saw the same thing, and they criticized me for it. See, praise and criticism over the same thing because of the perspective of the people. So, if you're going to live your life according to what everybody else is judging you, then you're going to be caught in a muddle. In a yeah. muddle. <laughs> and,
1: and this is exactly the way, by the uh, by the way, that God helps us with that. Uh, this is why we need grace. This is why we need humility. The cure for this tendency uh, of seeking affirmation for the various acts that we've done is that God will allow us to be criticized for the same charitable work, the very same thing you just said, Francis. And then by our reaction, we will know God doesn't need to know, He already knows. We will know if we are too attached to a desire for praise or if the work is simply being done out of love, even if it is done imperfectly. And that may be sometimes our work is done imperfectly and we receive. Uh, appropriate criticism or or feedback, uh, and if we react negatively to that, if we lose that all-important word, if we lose our equilibrium, if we lose our stability, if we're over-emotional uh, at the reaction uh, uh, as a reaction to negative criticism, then we'll know uh, that the work wasn't being done uh, entirely for God. And again, as I say, even if we did it imperfectly, if we did it imperfectly, we say, well, Lord, I was doing it for you. You should have helped me get it perfect. <laughs> but we don't get, we don't do get concerned. <laughs> <laughs> and we know the Lord allows us to do some things imperfectly because he wants to keep us humble. Well, yeah. there's a good quote that we should use just to close this out, Francis, if you don't mind. Uh,
0: yep, um, I'll be happy uh, to read it. It's, it's from the sayings of light and love, right?
1: Um, right absolutely
0: it goes like this it's it's a wonderful quote and a nice challenge for all of our listeners and and to you and i mark we're included in that (laughs) absolutely if you purify your soul of attachments and desires you will understand things spiritually if you deny your appetite for them you will enjoy their truth understanding what is certain in them What does it profit you to give God one thing if he asks you another? Consider what it is God wants and then do it. Your will, as a result, you will, excuse me, you will, as a result, satisfy your heart better than with something toward which you yourself are inclined. When evening comes, you will be examined in love. Learn to love as God desires to be loved And abandon your own ways of acting.
1: And in the evening, what does he say?
0: (laughs) I just closed my Uh (laughs) book. Sorry. (laughs) I'll let you find that, Mark.
1: (laughs) In the evening of our life, you will be examined in love learn to love as God desires. You did say it, but I want us to say it again. In the (laughs) evening of life, we will be examined in love. There's only, you know, as someone said so eloquently once, um, there's only one final exam and there's only one question. (laughs) Are you conformed in love? That's it. Everything comes down to that. You know, (laughs) there won't be this lengthy exercise of how many rosaries did you pray and how many times were you in mass and How many hours? All those are necessary components, but they're all just leading to the end uh, question anyway. Are you perfectly conformed in love? Um, That is the question we will answer at the evening of the day. So um, we pray as we close that that will be uh, something that we can answer in the affirmative. Yes, we are fully conformed to the image in which we were created. And if not, we know that God has afforded us the opportunity of a final Cleansing that will get us there. Uh, All he wants from us is goodwill and effort on our part. As John reminds us, this effort is not insignificant, especially if we desire union in this life. And so let's bow our heads now in prayer as we close and asking God for the grace to give us the desire that will give us the strength to pursue that. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, impart to us the desire. A revelation of the glory to which we are called and confidence, sure confidence with John as our guide that we can make this journey. We can overcome every obstacle and we can remove every impediment. It is your desire, Lord, and that is enough for us. And so we avail ourselves, we abandon ourselves and we will overcome every limitation that we have ourselves and every obstacle that may be placed in front of us. Because there is no other end for us other than to be resting eternally in your embrace. And we can share in part of that, even in this life. And we do desire it and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Well, thank you so much for that beautiful prayer, Mark. So glad you were able to join me for this conversation, uh, helping us to understand the wisdom of St. John of the Cross, especially regarding and growing in this pure love of God. Our next podcast in this series will focus on how the seven capital sins impede prayer, and then we'll begin concentrating on the prayer of contemplation itself. So until we meet again, God bless you.